Welcome to the One Rental at a Time podcast. This is your host, Michael Zuber. This is the show where we interview guests involved in the real estate business, from experts to newbies, wholesalers, flippers, buy and hold, apartments, commercial, notes, hard money, Airbnb, mobile homes. It doesn't matter. If you're involved in the business, we want to talk to you. This show relies on referrals and recommendations from our listeners. If you know someone we should talk to, please make a recommendation. As the author of One Rental at a Time, The Journey to Financial Freedom, I'm dedicated to helping you take your first or your next step on your real estate journey. But I need your help. We need to spread the message of One Rental at a Time Works. Please share this podcast, my YouTube channel, and of course, my book, all called One Rental at a Time. Thanks, and let's start the show. Hey everyone, thanks for watching. I have another one of those shows that I know you're gonna really appreciate and love because again, it's about somebody doing something, having a purpose, having a plan, executing it, and then reaping the rewards. So uh, we have back with us Anna Kelly, uh, and she has a great announcement for us. How are you doing this afternoon, Anna? I'm great, how are you, Michael? I'm doing very well. So I was excited to see about your announcement, but uh, I'll let you sort of introduce yourself and then share the announcement with all of us. Sure, so my name is Anna Kelly, and for those of you that haven't seen me before um, or seen Michael's podcast that we did um, about a month or so ago, I have been a um, real estate investor, um, investing primarily in small multifamily properties, and now um, investing in much larger multifamily properties. And I've been investing in real estate for um, off and on about 20 years, 20 years. But five years ago, I made a plan to really get serious about my investing and to buy enough rental properties so that I could replace my six-figure income from my job, where I have been for 20 years in the financial sector. And actually, yesterday, I gave my retirement notice. So I'm officially retiring, and I, uh, my last day will be May 16th. So I'm just elated and excited that my plan has come to fruition thanks to um, buying one rental at a time, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Thank you for that. That's funny. Yeah. So uh, I got to imagine, right? So you had a little bit of momentum and then you're like, all right, five-year plan. Yeah. Uh, take us back to that because that's, you know, that's a commitment, right? And um, what was going on five years ago that made you have that epiphany and you're like, let's, let's get serious. Yeah. So, you know, for about 12 years, I had been buying small properties and working full time, um, having at that time, uh, at that time, two children and helping my husband run his chiropractic business. We were just burning the candle at both ends for years between those things. And we started um, in 07, right before the, you know, collapse of the worldwide and U.S. economy. And so, you know, we thought back then that we would really be able to, you know, do something great in real estate and then things changed and our finances totally changed. So I had wanted to get into real estate, you know, for a while, um, buying more than what I had, but I really didn't have the cash to continue to buy and the banks wouldn't let me, you know, tap into my equity. So that desire had been there, but I really didn't have the means. And I didn't, know about, you know, networking with other investors and syndication or any of that stuff back then. So five years ago, I thought, you know, I've, we've developed a lot of equity in these buildings and I can't keep working 70, 80 hours a week. So I would like to work myself out of my job. And 
one of the things was I worked for AIG Life Insurance Company, and I'm still there. And as many of your listeners probably know, you know, when the um, economy collapsed in 08, 09, AIG was the largest mortgage insurer in the country. And we also issued these elusive things called credit default swaps, which was insurance that companies buy on other companies to basically protect themselves if those companies go under. Well, with all the actuarial know-how, no one ever um, thought that all of these companies could go down at one time or that we'd ever be on the hook for as much as we were. So AIG had a liquidity crisis and they borrowed a couple billion dollars from the U.S. government in order to stay afloat. And as you can imagine, working for them, my 401k, um, which was heavily invested in AIG stock, was obliterated within days. I thought I was losing my job. And even if we survived a few months, I didn't think that I would last for very long. Right. So quite frankly, even five years ago, um, I, you know, we had survived, but my department was downsizing. We had gone through multiple CEOs, and we really thought that our department was going to be sold and laid off. So having moved from Houston, where my main department is located, to rural Pennsylvania, I thought the likelihood of me finding another six-figure paying job from out in the farm lands of Pennsylvania was pretty slim uh, without having to travel and whatnot. So I thought, you know what, if I just started investing my equity in more properties, in about five years, I could get to the point where I could replace my six-figure income, have enough of a slap, you know, a stash above that to pay for health insurance and vacations and to save a year's salary and six months expenses. And so I just kind of set out a plan on paper and said, how many units would it take me to own? at how much money per per door to really get to about $150,000 a year mark. And that was enough for us to continue our current lifestyle, to travel a little bit and to keep my kids in private school. And so I wasn't really in it to get rich necessarily or have millions of dollars in equity necessarily. It was really all about making sure that I bought the right assets that would produce that cash flow that I could depend on, you know, for the, the next 20 years. Um, yeah, so hundred, so hundred and fifty k a year is roughly twelve thousand five hundred a month, roughly. Yes. Um, and you, you, so when when you started this five year plan, you had a few, so you were at like two or three grand a month, maybe. I had twelve units, okay. and this is bad, but I don't remember exactly what my net number was because at that time it it maybe wasn't quite three. Yeah. Because every time we made money, we put them back into remodeling the next unit. Oh, or I remember those days, believe me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yes, updating every unit as people moved out and new HVACs and new roofs and new windows. So we were trying to really make them to where over the next 20 years, they would be very solid assets that would have very little deferred maintenance or big gotcha price tag items. Yeah. So, you know, the first few years, we bought them and made them very nice. So we really didn't live off of any of that cash flow. It was just a matter of, getting started and, you know, making sure the buildings were nice. So five years ago, I had 12 units though, Michael. Yeah. So that's, that's actually, you know, people need to hear that, right? I talk about the foundations, right? There's, you got to decide to get started. You got to get off zero to one. And then as you're, you're building up your foundation, you're right. All that cash, cash flow that comes in, positive cash flow, you're just reinvesting, right? We didn't take a penny out of real estate for 15 years, probably 14 years. I mean, we right. a cash out refi, a 1031 exchange, monthly cash flow, none of it. All of it was just like, we, we, we turn around sometimes going, where'd all the money go? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And even over this five-year journey, because my goal was the cash flow and the number of units to get there, every penny that we made that wasn't 
you know, buying distressed assets, putting into those units, um, when we would cash out the equity uh, on a re refi, we would take that money and use it to buy another one. So we, we lived on very little of the cash flow over the last five years. It was all going back to buying more, um, making them nice, and then setting it aside in our savings fund, which would allow me, you know, to finally retire and, and do so safely and conservatively. So honestly, this is, I'm just now going to start actually living on the cash flow. Yeah. We haven't done that before. It's all been kind of set aside. So it's, it's not going to feel much different to us than it has over the last five years yeah. because we just weren't living on it and now we can. That's awesome. So when you're going, so you make the decision, you, 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 you set the five-year sites. Do you remember, how did it feel year one, year two? Did you see it? Did, were you scared? Did five years get extended, collapsed? What was that journey like? Sure. So initially, I thought I might be able to do it in four. So I thought four to five years. And, you know, for people that might have a $20,000 a year job, or their spouse is a, the sole breadwinner, and their spouse can make a lot of money, you might be able to, you know, do real estate full time in a year or two, you know, it, it might not take that long. But for me, we were really dependent on my salary. And so I had to do it completely kind of part-time, it ended up being, honestly, over the last five years, about 80 hours a week that I worked. Up at six, in bed, one o'clock in the morning, most nights for the last five years. So it's not been super complicated, but it's been hard. And so for me, I knew it was going to really take me five years of grinding nonstop. Every mor morning when my kids got on the school bus, I had 30 minutes to handle real estate. I had an hour a day on my lunch breaks. Some days I might have an hour and a half. And then as soon as I picked up the kids from school, driving to their sporting events, I have four, so they're all foreign sports every <laughs> single day of the week, I kid you not. Driving in the car, sitting at events, um, when they're in bed at night, you know, starting, that's when I would do my looking for deals, talking to bankers, talking to sellers, you know, anything that I could. I literally spent almost every waking moment outside of my day job and being a parent at night doing the real estate. So for me, it just took five full years because I had to just find the time to do it and couldn't commit full-time effort to it during the day. That's, that's again, it's a key. I mean, I talk about it all the time. People ask, you know, how'd you build up this big portfolio? I'm like, well, I got up earlier. <laughs> you know, I don't know what else to tell you. I can't stretch the day. I had a demanding, you know, 80 hour a week day job, which took me all mm -hmm. over the world. And the answer is I got up earlier, right? I happened to be right. a person versus staying up late. But that's where I found the time. It's why I looked every day for 10 years, right? I was right. doing something every day for 10 years. And people, people are admired. They're like, what? I'm like, well, do you really want it or not? This real estate investing thing right. works, but you got to put in the effort. And, and it's Absolutely. Not, yeah, it's not go look and it's, you know, it's a testament to both, both you and I, you know, if you really want something badly enough, you will find the time and make, make time to do it. You know, if, if you aren't doing it, it's because you don't want it badly enough. I mean, that's the bottom line. And for some people, they're like, you know, it'd be nice to make an extra $5,000 a month. It'd be nice to do this. Yeah. But they don't realize that, you know, they hear all these gurus talk about, you can retire from your job in a year and you're going to be a millionaire. Yeah. And there's no easy button. You know, it, it takes, mm -hmm. I, I like to say that passive income is built on the blood, sweat, and tears of active income because that's truly what it's been for me. Like my last five years, blood, sweat, and tons and tons and tons of tears, literally all three, to just continue to persevere when it's hard because yeah. it is hard. Yeah. But now that I'm like, have truly given my notice, I'm pinching myself. Like from this day forward, if I never bought another property, I could 
wake up, veg around the house all day, do whatever I want, and live a truly passive income. Now, of course, I'm not going to do that, but I've bought the passive income through yeah. the really tough five years of, of getting here. That's very cool. So you, uh, so you obviously hit your income goal, uh, hence you gave your notice. I'm just curious, how many units did it take to get to that? Do you, do you know? It took me six, at the time I had 65 units okay. and I ended up selling three of them that were dogs that were in an area that I wanted to Get explore <laughs> buying in a C minus D plus for, for great cash flow, And I didn't like it at all. So I sold those after a year, but what I made on those buildings was enough to kind of help um, expedite that emergency fund. Yeah. So really 60 units was enough to, okay. um, to live on. And then I bought, you know, the 73 unit and have the 31 unit just as kind of bonus and, you know, oh, extra yeah, now at this point. So. <laughs> but really the 60 units in my area was enough, you know, to, to get to that threshold. Yeah. And that was another key, right? Is you, cause again, you, you were doing it on your spare hours. You did those first 60 doors locally, relatively locally. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. Okay. All of them are within about 10 minutes from my house, which for me was really key, you know, because as we talk when you're looking at areas to invest in, you've got to look at how much time do I have available to invest? Exactly. How much money do I have, you know, to invest? And unless you've got a lot of money and a lot of time to drive elsewhere or to hire other people to do it, if you're in a market that is, is strong for rentals and stable rentals and stable employment, it's much smarter and wiser to just do it in your backyard. So yeah. every day at lunch, I could drive to any property I needed to to meet a tenant that wanted to apply for an apartment or to take, you know, check out a leaky faucet or whatever I needed to do. I could find some time in that day, you know, on my um, drives to and from the school or at night or whatever to be at those properties within a, a couple of minutes. And I could not have done it and handled the full rehabs that we did on, on most of these units if they had been, you know, far away. Yeah. Just uh, because I had a lack of time and a lack of money at that point. No, and those are all the questions to make, you know, you have to decide. And that's what a lot of busy professionals, because a lot of people are in our, the position you or I in. We had a six-figure job, but we had this desire to eventually exit that, right? And, and live yes. the life that we chose. But then people get stuck on that. Well, where, where and how do I do it, right? You were lucky enough to be in a market that supported it. I couldn't find a market because I'm in, you know, Silicon Valley, unless I went two <laughs> and a half hours away. So right. you know, all the things that we juggle, right? Time, dollars, you know teams, all those things. So exactly. Very cool. So now you're going bigger. So you have a 73 and 31. Let's talk about either one in any order you'd like. That's exciting. Sure. So as I was getting closer and closer, as confident as I had been in this plan is happening and I'm going to retire, as I really got close at the, um, at the end of last summer, I was kind of paralyzed with this fear of, can I really do this? And What's going to happen if we hit another recession and what's going to happen to my rents? And is this the wisest time to do it? And so because I'm very conservative and I have four children that depend on me to continue to do this, I kept thinking, do I push through another year and do I, you know, just save up one more year of income so that I can invest in bigger stuff and bring in more cash flow? And I had this kind of internal warring with what am I doing and is this really the wise time to do it now, even though I really, really want it. And so I thought, you know, I've always wanted to get into the larger multifamily space. And I had kind of dabbled and thought about that before, but I just didn't have the time to get out and network. And I didn't think I had enough money, um, quite frankly, to invest at that point. So 
I knew and had confidence in my skills that, you know, I could totally reposition four unit properties and a commercial mixed use building. So I'm sure I could do the exact same thing on the larger scale, but how was I going to find the partners to entrust me with the funds in order to buy something much, much larger? And how was I going to come up with my own money so that I have some skin in the game in these much larger complexes? And I just finally decided, you know, I've got to try to do it now. So I'm going to do it now while I still have my job. And I need to find an off-market deal locally that I can manage and that I can be very confident in my abilities so that I would be very confident in in taking investor money to do it. So I found an off-market deal. I put it under contract and I called a local investor who we had just recently had a couple of meetings, but we'd kind of known of each other for a couple of years um, through a couple of networking events that we had gone to and just said, hey, I've got this great deal. Um, I know you're looking to to move into larger multifamily. So am I. We both had you know quite a few rentals. He had about three times what I did, and he flips fifty or sixty properties a year through his company. Wow. So between the two of us, we had a lot of really good experience, and we were both about thirty to forty five minutes from this property. Okay. So I called him and told him about the property. He was really excited about it, and he um, had some investors who were looking to invest, and so. We met with um, one key investor and he liked the deal so much, he decided to you know, fund the entire deal. So just three of us ended up going into this deal and not having to syndicate it like we had originally planned. Nice. Um, and it's just you know, amazing property. It's a 73 unit, which is just large enough to really be able to afford a full-time property manager and maintenance person yep. in our area. Um, the building was built in the 80s, but completely updated in the last three years with new roofs and new siding, new, new porches and macadam. Everything was in amazing condition. But the, it was a mom and pop owner. Yeah. And the rents were about $200 per unit below market. Wow. And I was extremely confident in the numbers because I'm in the same market. So it's the same tenant pool, the same employers that are renting from me, yeah. you know, about 15 minutes away. So um, it was just a slam dunk deal. So it's, it's, we bought it at the beginning of December and we have turned about six or seven of those units with our value add plan and we're getting 200 to $275 more per unit. So it's turning into really an amazing asset. Um, so that was the first one. So I'll let you ask questions about that one before I go to the next one, if you'd like. Yeah, please. No, I mean, that's just amazing, right? doing your homework, getting confident in your area and knowing that rents are $200 each. I mean, just, that's just simple math, right? $200 times 73 units. Even if you write off three units, it's, that's $14,000 a month. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I am curious. And, you know, amazingly, every unit that we've had, we've put out on the market. And, and the first one that we had, we had over 90 people want to see it. Wow. and rented it in the first showing. So we actually have three coming up June 1st and they've all been rented. You know, here we are in early April. So it's just such a nice asset. It's a, like an A to A minus area. I'd call it a B plus asset because it's a little bit older, Um, but, but just extremely nice property. So those are obviously the kind of properties that I'm going after. Um, But they're, they're quite frankly, not easy to find. Yeah, no, they're not easy to find. That's that in that, in that market, it's in that, you know, A minus B plus area. That's it's tough. I am curious. Um, because you had 73 units, are you only raising the rent after a remodel or did you make the decision, hey, half of them, I'm going to raise a hundred bucks and see if they stay and then we'll do the other half or how, how does that logic work? 
Sure. So again, you know, I, I knew my market pretty well, but it is in a town that's one town over from some of the things that I own. So I looked at all of the surrounding complexes to see what are the rents for the exact same type of unit, you know, as close to apples to apples as you can be. And what I found with most of these being $200 a month below um, market is for, even for a two bedroom, if I raise the rents $100 per month, they couldn't go to the complexes next door for a one bedroom for any less than that. So they could either pay the $100 or they could go next door and downsize to a one bedroom for about the same hit. So I knew that even if I did $100 a month, I was not going to have this mass exodus and have to worry about, you know, lots of vacancies and, and you know, more of a quick spend on my CapEx. Yep. So we made the decision to raise every unit. I can't remember the exact number, but I would say probably 90% of them were on month to month. So okay. that made it really easy for us. Yeah. So we bought it early December and we gave them notice in January that starting March, we were raising everyone's rent $75 a month and okay. keeping them on a month to month lease. Yep. So that kind of gave us the, the confidence that we would have very few move out for a $75 a month rent, rent okay. increase. Yep. My underwriting, when I say conservative, even though we knew we could raise them $200 a month, our first year underwriting just banked on $75 a month. Oh, nice. So I knew if I go 75, I'm definitely going to meet my year one numbers. And if they move, great. We'll make 200 to 225 more per unit, depending on, you know, which unit it was. And so that worked really well. Most people were really happy that we only raised their rent $75. Yep. And, you know, for some of them, that was more than 10%. Yep. But again, the complex right next door that's very similar vintage, very similar floor plans, they couldn't get a one bedroom for that. So I think overall people were really happy that we gave them a $75 a month increase and the few that have moved, you know, were, were making significantly more money. So it really was a, a um, decision not to go as high as we could because sure. we wanted to give some goodwill yeah, and we course. wanted to leave open that kind of month to month option so that we would have a... Um, a more streamlined number of units coming up every month that we could go in and, and renovate as we went. Well, that's, that's, you know, it just shows you how experienced you are. Cause I, you know, I talked to some new investors and like, well, we'll just take everybody up $195. Like, well, <laughs> you know, you could do that, but you're probably going to, you know, ask people to leave basically. Cause that's, that's going to be a huge jump for, for a lot, some people. So exactly. And you know, you do have to kind of have this balance. I, I'm not a slumlord. I don't believe in, you know, providing um, below average accommodations for people. And, you know, you do have to have a heart and be good to people because when you're good to people, they are going to be good to you. And when you're good to your tenants and you let them know, you know, we're fair, we're not here to rake you under the coals. We want you to have a nicer place. And here's some things we're going to do for you to make this complex a nicer place to live. You end up with so much goodwill that then people are telling their friends about you. And even though they've got this small increase, they're excited to stay living there. And so if you go in and basically tell the tenants, I'm raising your rent, you know, 20% or $200 a month, they're going to hate you. Everyone's going to hate you. And word's going to get around, especially if you're not in like a primary market where there's thousands and thousands of people to choose from when you're in a little bit more of a secondary or tertiary market, mm -hmm. you know, it's smaller towns and, and word gets around. So we wanted to be good to people so that they in turn would, would stay, they would look after our property. They wouldn't paint graffiti all over the walls, you know, and, and that we would really have a win-win um, situation for both us and the tenants that were there. Again, there's so much wisdom there. Cause what I have found is, you know, when you talk to new investors or maybe people just in the game a little bit, 
they often talk about tenants from the, how do I get them out? The evictions and, and, you know, Mm -hmm. cash for keys and all of that stuff where it's actually far more important to build that goodwill with your tenants because the key to making money in this business is less tenant turnover, right? Tenant turnover is the things that eat you alive. So, um, kudos to you and your team for, for, you know, having that attitude, because if you can get, if you can get good tenants and then they attract their friends, which are likely to be good tenants, um, you know, the complex is, is, is well taken care of. So very cool. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, I am curious, uh, just cause I do, uh, apartment buildings as well. When you're doing the upgrade, is it just new flooring, paint, maybe new uh, countertops? What, what does a remodeled unit look like? Sure. For this particular unit, that's exactly it. This was really, you know, I like to use the term lipstick on a pig, but some people take that term negatively. So I should clarify what I mean by lipstick on the pig. It has really good bones. So there was not a lot of buildings that there was no functional obsolescence. You know, the rooms flowed very nicely. There's two true separate bedrooms that were built to be true separate bedrooms. Um, Most of them have two baths. Some have one um, and and a separate kitchen a dining room off the living room. And so the functionality of the units themselves was, was pretty good. And the building had been really well maintained. So, um, you know, they were off white, kind of the antique white that all the older landlords use over and over and over again. So there just wasn't any sizzle or jazz or excitement. You walk in and you're like, Oh, it kind of feels like um, a hospital or an older apartment complex. So Really, when you go with nice tones, and as a female, like I really love the new grayish colors. Yeah. They're not quite gray, so they're not super cold, but they're not quite you know beige and outdated. So these kind of grayish colors are just warm, and they go with everything. So most of them had plain white walls, um, older carpet, not gray carpet. Some of the vinyl in the bathrooms and the kitchens were like vinyl tiles, so they had yeah. started to kind of separate um, you've got a mixture of bisque and white and black appliances. Um, so th- it just dated, you know, nothing sexy and exciting about them. So we really went in and I, you know, set with our, um, our third parties and said, okay, this is the type of flooring that I want. This is the type of paint that I want. And we picked a nice grayish color um, to give a two-tone, you know, nice pop, pop of white on all of the trim. Um, we did luxury vinyl plank flooring you know, throughout the, um, the main living areas, the kitchens and the halls. And then we're kind of experimenting where we have a couple of them with carpets in the bedrooms because up here in the Northeast, it does get really cold. Yeah. And while some people don't like carpet, people really hate to be cold yeah. um, and have, you know, just those cold floors. So even though they could have area rugs, we thought let's do a couple with carpet in the bedrooms only. And then a couple with, you know, the vinyl plank in the bedrooms. And then we did in the bathroom, just new linoleum. So we made those changes. Um, the bathrooms had like oak vanities and oak um, medicine cabinets that are kind of dated. I just personally hate oak. I just <laughs> it reminds me of my grandparents' house when I was a little girl. Um, you know, oh, yeah. which is pretty but dated. So you're just not going to get the top rents. Yeah. So we switched out to some like frameless mirrors. You know, mirror medicine cabinets. Um, and then in the kitchens, in a couple of them we did granite. But if the countertops are in good shape. We just kept the countertops. Um, if the cabinets didn't look great, we painted the cabinets because they are solid wood and in good shape. And then if there's bisque appliances, we took them out of there and put in, you know, nice white appliances, um, some white backsplashes. So, you know, just a freshening up without any major reconstruction of the units. 
Very cool. So then I'm looking at what's the disposition of this asset? Is, is the idea for the 73 units to own it and give it to your kids? Or is it a value add play where within three to five years, you're going to sell it and reap a monster reward? Do you have any ideas? Sure. So, you know, we always think about multiple exit plans and what would happen if the economy goes up and what would happen if the economy goes down. Um, you know, the ages of the different investors that are that are in the assets and our own personal um, financial planning. So when we're not syndicating a larger deal and it's just a couple of investors, you really kind of have to take into consideration, you know, what, what are each of your goals and, and how can we make this asset work for all of us? And so for this particular asset, we are all looking at this really as a 10-year hold. Okay. Um, number one, because we really like the asset and we think that it's a nice, stable, long-term asset for our portfolio for the three of us. But also, we do think that in the next 18 months or so, you know, nobody has a crystal ball, but we might head into some recessionary times where your cap rates are, you know, quite frankly, going to go up. Yep. Um, your values might come down a little bit. You could have some decrease in your rents um, and not really necessarily have that 3% growth that we all hope that we have. And so, um, you know, we could say, oh, great, in two to three years, the property is going to be worth X. We're going to refinance it. We're going to cash out. But we might not be able to do that. You know, we think that rates will probably go up from where they are now. Um, so refinancing may or may not make sense. But like any investor, I mean, we want, we want to create value. So we're doing a value add. We want cash flow now. We want some growth and forced appreciation. And an asset that when we sell, we're going to make money on. So, you know, if it makes sense in five years for us to do that and rates are okay and any kind of recession has kind of bounced back up, we may refi cash out, you know, our, our gains on that and then just keep the property another five years, or we may take it the full 10 years. Very, very cool. So nice to have options. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and that's key. I think in anything you buy, whether it's a single family house, whether it's a small duplex or a four unit or a larger asset, when you go in thinking this is only going to work for this one model, then you can be kind of blindsided by these things that are, are your uncontrollable. So you want to be able to control everything you can but everything I buy, I look and say, do I have multiple ways to get out of this if I need to? And so I want something that's going to be a great, you know, two to three year hold for my investors and I, or it's going to be great, you know, cash out refi in five years and keep to 10, or it's going to be a great stable value, you know, maybe beyond 10 years, even up to 20 years. So um, I don't want to buy anything that's kind of a one trick pony in yes. this environment and in this place in the cycle that we are at this point. Yeah, that's, that's. Uh, genius again, because where we are, I mean, it's, it's impossible to argue we're not at some kind of top, right? Now right. we're still going up, who knows, but we're higher than we were three years ago. Right. Uh, so having those absolutely are key. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, you want to be doom and gloom, like you stop investing, you no. just hoard a bunch of cash because then you do have that opportunity cost, but you also don't want to overpay, you know, buy stuff where the cap rates are just ridiculously low and that you just are hoping for things to go well. Like hope is not an investment strategy, as I like to say. It's a good um, personality, you know, characteristic to have. You want to be hopeful, but you have to be realistic and you have to kind of plan for the worst. And so, you know, I, I think that in everything you do, you just buy properties that where you, you have calculated risks and you have mitigated all of the things that you think can go wrong before you really, you know, act on that property. So I'm still actively looking but I'm much more conservative on what I'm going to put an offer on, you know, than maybe what a lot of people are that I see out there. Oh yeah. No question. So I'm curious now. So you've given your notice, you're going to be out roughly 30 days. Um, is the plan still to take the summer, be with the kids, enjoy life, 
you know, recharge or is it like, nope, that's out. I need to go hunt and find some deals. What, what does it look like when you're out? When I am on vacation, I'm always hunting for deals. Okay. <laughs> so I, I find joy in it. I love it. I would rather buy a property than a pair of shoes and a house and a car and anything else. So um, I am, you know, still over this next month, I mean, I'm, I'm evaluating um, operating agreements constantly, you know, looking at T12s for properties and, and trying to find stuff. Um, we're starting a mailing campaign next week for um, some properties that we'd like to target off market. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm still working. But with that said, um, the week that I retire, I am speaking the next week at an event for Rod Khalif in Denver on the 18th and 19th. So I'm excited about that. And then um, I'll have one week off before we start our summer travel plan. So we are going to go to the beach and go to Niagara Falls in Canada, which I've never been to. Um, maybe check out some Airbnbs in Canada because I can tell you the stuff on the U.S. side are like super ancient dumps and they rent for three times the nice stuff on the Canadian side. So I'm like, hey, Niagara, New York might be a great place to find some Airbnbs and offer a nicer product. So I'm already, you know, yeah. thinking like that. Um, but while I'm away, you know, I, I really at least the first two weeks of June um, plan to really primarily just relax with my family, enjoy yeah. our time together. And then, you know, we're talking about doing some cross country traveling this summer. So when I say I'll be looking for property, you know, I can't help myself. So yeah. we'll be exploring the Southwest. Um, you know, one of my favorite trips was going from Texas through Arizona, Nevada, California, wow. um, Utah. And so I'd love to take my kids, you know, to those places. So over the summer, we're going to do quite a bit of that, but I will take my laptop and I'll be looking for deals. And, you know, we really, my partners and I want to find at least two more larger multifamily complexes this year um, in our area, as well as going after some deals that we're syndicating, you know, in some other states. So I don't plan to stop, but I plan to go from 80 hours a week of working to like five hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, remember, you know, back to five years ago, why you were doing it, it was for family. And Absolutely. now, you know, now it's time to claim the chips off the table. Right. Right. And even when I say five hours a day while I'm on vacation, I'm, you know, it might be an hour. So, yeah. you know, over the summer, it's just kind of enjoying the fruits of, of that hard work and just really enjoying and making memories with my kids and, you know, however big it grows, as we've talked about before, it grows. If I find something while I'm kind of playing around with the kids, then, then great. But once they're back in school, you know, at the end of August, it'll be, you know, several hours a day, just, just committed to growing the multifamily business and then, you know, being mom at night. Well, that's, that's where I look forward to watching you grow is, is okay, you'll get through the summer, you're recharged, great family memories. But then it's like, okay, between, I don't know, nine and three, not sure when the school is, you're going to be unleashed. <laughs> yes, I am excited. I, I, I'm so excited. You know, it's going to feel like a vacation for me to just have a few hours a day to work. Oh, yeah. But I know that I know how to compress my time and, you know, to be efficient and effective. And so, um, you know, the sky's the limit. I'm, I'm excited. So, so again, you're mar going for the off-market deal. So that, does that mean just mainly mailers? Are you paying virtual assistance to cold call? Or you have any ideas on, on all, all of that? So, you know, I've 
in theory, like, like many of us in theory, I've read lots of books and I'm on, you know, some, some blogs and bear pockets and some Facebook groups of people that are, are doing all of that stuff. So I've got a lot of great ideas for this is what we could do. Um, for the local stuff, it's pri it is primarily mailing um, to complexes that we're interested in yep. and kind of doing some skip tracing, tracking down those owners. And as much as I can, kind of get in front of them and have a face-to-face -face conversation. That's where I've been most effective sure. um, to be able to find those deals. When it's out of state, I'm really working on developing relationships with some brokers that are you know, kind of heavy hitters in that space, letting them know I'm serious, kind of what our track record is. Um, and so, you know, I think you typically try to find those deals that are off market or pre-market, yep. you know, out of state um, and then developing relationships with some other operators that I've, you know, come across and that I am kind of watching. I'm sure they're watching me as well, but some other people in, in areas where we're, you know, definitely interested in investing. So um, my, my partner, Rob, who flips 50 or 60 houses a year, like they're um, experts at the tax sales, you know, and you may not necessarily find the bigger ones there, but they do mailers. They've got, you know, people who cold call and, and wholesalers. And so, you know, using a little bit of his expertise and, and kind of creative ways to target people, um, as well as kind of some of the letters and mailers that I've done and those broker relationships, those are our kind of key primary um, means of, of going after off-market deals, at least at this point. Yeah. So I am, I am, you know, so again, so we talked about you go through the summer, you start next year, your partnerships want two more larger apartments this year. What about yes. your smaller portfolio that I think had 60 units in it? Are you still adding to that occasionally or is that like set it and forget it? No, I, I will. You know, I, I think my primary focus is, is the larger multifamily and, and even some other asset classes. So um, while multifamily is what I'm, I have experience in and I'm very comfortable with that, you know, retail type of tenant, um, I also believe in diversity and diversification of, of your portfolio. And so where, you know, a multifamily might get hit in a certain place in the economy or in a certain market, you're always going to have people that want to own, you know, nice, well-placed single family homes in really good school districts. You're always going to have people um, that want storage facilities. So I'm interested in self-storage and I've got, I don't even know, maybe 60 or so self-storage units and, and garages. Um, the aging population makes me interested in some independent living. And so we're investigating that space as well as, you know, residential assisted living. And so um, there's so many ways to make money in real estate. And I think you shouldn't necessarily close your mind or close the doors to any of those other asset classes. Like you keep your your primary focus, like 90% of your time on what you're going to do. So for me, it's the larger multifamily. But as deals get presented to me um, that are in my own market, that are easy to add to my 60 unit portfolio because it's right next door or it's down the street or I know it, I'm definitely going to take advantage of those opportunities when they come if it's the right, right, you know, property. So I basically look at myself primarily not as a multifamily investor, but as an income stream investor. So I want to buy things that are creating income streams and having multiple income streams that I can depend on and that are going to be consistent. And so primarily, you know, that's multifamily for me. But you also have to kind of look, and this is putting on my old, um, you know, private banker hat where we talk to people about, you know, all kinds of investments. You have investments for um, income or cash flow, and then you have um, investments for growth. 
and um, for preservation. And so some of these properties that I might buy, you know, maybe I'm buying a single because it's there for like protection and preservation. And I know they're not really going to go likely, you know, down in value where I might not make as much cash flow, but it's just a good balance to my, to my portfolio and something that's also going to appreciate. So I am um, a, a, a long winded way to say, I think there's many ways that you can make money in real estate and that you shouldn't just put all your eggs into one basket. Um, be willing to, you know, take on opportunity where it presents itself, but without being like all over the place, you know, you're never going to do well if you're too focused on all of it, you know, all at one time. That's awesome. That so, makes sense. No, it does. Absolutely. And, and one thing I want to make sure we do is how, how can people get a hold of you or follow you, Anna? Because you, you, give, you give so much already, whether it's a speaking event in Denver, your Facebook group, all that stuff. How, how can people follow you? Because they, they really should. Thank you so much. Um, primarily, I'm on Facebook just from time to time. I'll probably be on it more when I'm actually retired and doing <laughs> completely full time. But on Facebook, I'm Anna REI Mom Kelly. Um, I also have a Facebook group called Creating Wealth That Lasts with Anna REI Mom. You can find my website at www.info, I'm sorry, .reimom.com. And my email is info at reimom.com. That's wonderful. And ladies and gentlemen, listening to this, you really do need to follow Anna. She's um, already given away a lot of stuff. And I can only imagine once she recharges over the summer, what she's going to be giving back. Uh, to the investing community. So check out our Facebook Thank group, so reach much. out to her on Facebook. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. And congratulations. Five years. Thank you so much. It, it had to feel good. Uh, it, it, it feels amazing. I'm really excited. And I appreciate you having me on again. No problem. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. All right.